Hi, I'm Jeremiah. On the internet, I go by the pseudonym Zappa Video and post a bunch of dumb meme nonsense when I happen to have the spare time. But after a recent brush with mortality awareness, I've been wanting to do something more, like talk on record to some cool creator friends and idols whose art I love and want more people to know about. So, in this as of this recording unnamed podcast, I chat with my favorite artists of all sorts to find out who they are, why they rule, what they've done, and how they did it. And for my first episode, I'm ridiculously proud to talk to one of my favorite creators ever, the king of Twitch, Leo Watoski, better known to the internet as Laserfrog. There's lots of great stuff here, and I hope you enjoy it. So, here we go. This is my talk with Leo Laserfrog Watoski. Oh, hell. Leo, thank you so much for joining me on this inaugural podcast, which is unnamed as of yet. You haven't even named it yet. I like that. I have several names. Uh, originally, it was Beep Boop. Since I came up with that name, I have discovered that it has been taken by like a couple of high school kids. I think it would be impossible to Google that and get reliable. Yeah. There are other names that I have in mind, and one of them's kind of personal. It's called Head Clog in the Operator. Ooh. And it's kind of like a term... Like ID10T or error exists between system and chair, that kind of thing. So when I was in college, I used to do video doing reel-to-reel tapes, three-quarter inch U-Matic beta style. Oh, wow. So back then, the engineer for basically the entire campus, I think his name was Cliff or Clint or something, uh, but he had big 70s mustache, big 70s sunglasses. Oh, hell yeah. Definitely looked yeah. appropriate for the job. <laughs> Oftentimes when we were doing these edits with these tape-to-tape decks, like the time code would slip or like we wouldn't do something right. Clint would come in or Cliff. I'm going to say it's Cliff. He sounds like a Cliff. Yeah, sounds, sounds better. If you remember Futurama and uh, Scruffy, a janitor. Right, right. The dude yeah. was Scruffy, a janitor. <laughs> and so if it was a user error, we were just being stupid and didn't press the right buttons. He would always kind of say, eh, sounds like a head clog in the operator. I like it. Let's go with that. I have other ideas for names. That's probably the one I'm sticking with, but we'll see. All right. So as for this podcast, thank you again. I'm sure that every single person who would be listening to this knows who you are. All seven of them. That depends on how this all goes. <laughs> if it isn't a complete shit show. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm able to assemble it properly. Just as my background with you, I discovered you about eight or nine years ago with your uh, retroware. Yeah, on retroware. Was that the yeah. answer? The game introspective, retrospective. I get not introspective. That's actually a pretty good term for i think what they were well you call it video poetry or something like that oh yeah i just called it that because i thought it'd be funny and confuse people and it did that was my goal and i succeeded so that was run play think yeah on youtube after which you joined the ranks of kotaku and Produced leo takes a look yeah which was sometimes looking at new releases sometimes Thoughtful analysis on state-of-the-industry type stuff. Yeah. It's like paid promotions and Kickstarters and sandwiches. And I always found it a funny and insightful take on whatever well, it was you. that you were looking at. And these days, primarily stream on twitch.tv forward slash laserfrog, mm -hmm. uh, an extravaganza of a show broadcasting <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays, yep. uh, which is noon my time and 8 p.m., where you are in the UK, streaming currently in a booth. I'm in the booth right now, yeah. Off 123 Fake Street in Wales. Yeah. Yes. How would you, Leo Laserfrog Witoski, describe the Laserfrog Twitch aesthetic? <laughs> <laughs> because when I ask people on the stream who just are new, if some happened by, yeah. they see things like, it's funny and random that wonderful chestnut or it's such a such a thing on drugs yeah which is delightfully non-helpful geez how would i describe it yeah existing cbd jokes aside with jordan <laughs> notwithstanding <laughs> i have 
my own notions about that, but how would you describe what you do? I would just call it, mm, I was going to say a controlled myth, but I don't know if there's much control in it. I just try to fill four hours the best I can. And I, going into it, I didn't have an aesthetic in mind. <laughs> and the good thing about Twitch is you can just keep adding to it week on week, just adding little things. And then by the end of it, you've just got a complete mess of an OBS scene that it really controls itself after a certain point. I don't know how I would describe it. This is a really tough question. Really tough question. That's all right. So on Twitch, you play video games, which Twitch is ostensibly for. Yeah. Video games from all eras, even the most recent, like the Cruising USA Switch. Oh, yeah, Cruising Blast. Yeah. Not only that, you interact a hell of a lot with viewers, um, which is not something you see on a lot of Twitch streams. No, I've always, I always found that weird. And for me, that's what Twitch is about, is that real-time interaction with the viewers because they add so much to it otherwise it would just be me yelling into the void which you could just make a youtube video doing that whereas twitch great thing about live streaming is that people will interject and just make you laugh and just really add to the whole thing yeah and you've developed a quite an amazing sense of community and some really amazing contributors that have in turn influenced one another, both you, you influencing them and them influencing you. Symbiotic relationship. Symbiotic, yeah. But in terms of the look of the thing, I mean, it might have been Haddis. I don't know that for sure. Mm. Call it Tesco brand Vaporwave. <laughs> now, and I'm sure that's said with complete love and adoration. Oh, absolutely. I love Haddis. He's he's absolutely wonderful. I love that man. So there is a vaporwave element in, aside from interacting with viewers and playing games, usually the interacting with viewers gets in the way of that, but that's part yeah. of the fun. Oh, uh, yeah, for most of the stream, yeah. During the stream, you also play your own music and you do a lot of art set pieces, transition stuff within scenes, funny bits, and you play uh, video clips usually from the 70s, 80s, 90s. In the most recent stream, I saw that you showed the Leonard Nimoy Magnavision or whatever oh, that man, thing Oh, man, that was amazing. It was introducing the Laserdisc and just simple concepts of you can rewind and fast forward. It's got two different audio tracks. You can hear what this coach of this team thinks and the other coach. So... Ultimately, what uh, DVD commentary tracks became, in a way, like they had a secondary simultaneously playing audio track. Yeah, and it's fun to look back on that kind of stuff and see how exciting technology once was and not just absolutely terrifying as it is now. Yeah, I don't think... It is exactly Vaporwave. There's kind of a brand of UK Vaporwave that's different because it's more focused on the home computer revolution of the early 80s rather than the video game console thing that was right. a little bit bigger in the United States. Right. So instead of getting the neon and pastel pinks and blues, it's a lot of uh, browns and avocado type uh, <laughs> colors and it looks a bit grimy. <laughs> <laughs> but tangible. I mean, it's showing analog stuff in a digital oh, medium. Interesting. There's kind of that intersection. I just didn't want my stream to look too professional because that's really boring. There's so many streams that look great, but they all kind of look the same because they're, they're just too professional. There's no, there isn't that griminess. Like over here, there was no such thing as public access television. I feel like Twitch is that for me, a thing I never had. And for it to look too professional would be a shame because it should be a, a medium for experimentation instead of, oh, it's got to look this great and everything must be in order. And 
I've got to feel this 10-minute segment and then go on to this. I don't want any of that. It's Twitch. And the great thing about Twitch, you can pretty much do anything you want on it to a reasonable degree. That's freeing. That's a very freeing thing that it would be a shame for it to look all slick and highly produced. I just want it to look like a mess. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a beautiful mess. Exactly. What you say about public access, I actually used to love a certain public access television show when I was growing up. And definitely that uh, aesthetic certainly appeals to me. I would have loved to, if there'd been public access over here, I would have been involved. But there just wasn't. No such thing. There's no like local television or anything like that. Instead, you got teletext, <laughs> uh, which is a bit of Teletext. We is can great. get into that later. Get ZX Guesser on the line. He, he, will, yep. he will talk to you for hours about teletext. Science advisor. He'll be happy about it. But what you say about Twitch and uh, public access, yes, I believe that the spirit of public access is alive and well on Twitch and with you. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. Well, certainly just, other yeah, kinds of mediums. Esoteric. I just want weird esoteric things on Twitch. Me too. And I wish they were easier to find because they're out there. Yeah. The weird stuff is out there. Oh, yeah. Twitch doesn't make it very easy to find it. Right. Uh, I would say that there are other streamers that kind of have, and I'm sure there's an actual term for the UK version of the Vaporwave aesthetic. I have no idea about Vaporwave or any of that kind of. Right. But again, I appreciate your interaction and involvement with the viewers, the community, and that's a wonderful thing that you absolutely do not get uh, elsewhere on Twitch, and it makes the experience very meaningful. Well, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Theoretically, this podcast is kind of like the intersection of humanity and art and technology, which is... Freaking everything. I mean, if you look at all <laughs> that. described everything. The Venn diagram would just be a circle. For anybody who's not familiar with you, probably it might be easier to just okay. start at the start. So you were born in Leeds. Yeah, right? I was. Round yeah. about the early 90s? I'm not going yeah, to. I don't want to reveal uh, exactly. I don't want to docs uh, in me. And, wh- and what was your first postal address? And. <laughs> The name of your first pet. National Health Care Number. <laughs> yeah, Leeds in uh late eighties. But I wasn't in Leeds uh in Yorkshire for long. I was about two to uh south of England on the uh sure. on the coast. So south like coast, southeast Brighton area, Southampton, kind of. Yeah, right near Brighton. Yeah. About. Yeah. Yeah. So why did you move? It, was, it wasn't my choice. Yeah, exactly. Two. When you're that age, it's not up to you. So I don't uh, even remember it. Your dad is in the arts in some fashion. Oh, yeah. He's an incredible painter, like an incredible, incredibly gifted painter and carpenter and all sorts. He can do everything. You can pretty much do any, anything. He built the studio, didn't he? Yeah, he built this booth. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I helped by researching, but that's all I did. I said, these are the materials we need. Make it. And he, uh, he did it because he's kind of incredible. He was a, um, he was a teacher for uh, like 15 years or something. Cool. And your mother? My mom? Uh, yes. Just looked after me and my sister, and um, oh, cool. same with mine. She used to be do a typing and that kind of thing, but yeah, mainly looked after us. And you, that means you have siblings. Is she the older sibling? Yeah, yeah, she's four years. Okay, so you're the younger kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of technology did you have growing up around where you lived? Uh, we had a Sega Master System which was great. I loved that thing. But 
my fondest memory is this. My parents gave me, in my room, when I was very young, they, I think it had been in the loft for years, it must have been from the late 70s, this TV, this beautiful orange, just bright orange television, black and white television with dials on it. I wish I still had it. I don't know if it broke or what happened to it. I don't know what happened to it, but oh, I've got fond memories of turning that thing on late at night and just sneakily watching things that were uh, adult television. And I don't mean like sexy stuff. I just mean <laughs> it was television designed for adults. And I was just super intrigued by it. And then, but I would always get caught. And then, right. then I couldn't watch the TV and they'd take like the fuse out of it. And <laughs> so I could so I couldn't sneakily watch it. I'm trying to think of other at a young age technology. We had an Atari Lynx that my mum won in a competition. Really? She came up with some limerick or something. <laughs> I don't know what the limerick was. Did it have to be about the Atari Lynx? Or? No, I think it was. I think it was for some like cereal. And yeah, we won this Atari Lynx, and. We didn't have it like it like broke really quickly or something. And I remember playing Pac-Man on it, Miss Pac-Man, and it just looking tiny, <laughs> like microscopic Miss Pac-Man. And we didn't even use it on the go because we couldn't afford batteries for it, so it was just plugged into the wall. But I, I remember that thing being really cool, and uh. You know, just cassettes and things, recording. Uh, like me and my friend Chris, we would pretend we we're on the radio and record like a radio show onto a onto a cassette, and th you know things like that. And he had an Amiga, which I wish I'd had one. Deluxe paint on that thing was amazing. You could make animations on it, and we used to make animations and. <laughs> Yeah, the Amiga was the coolest thing. But I didn't have that. That was at Chris's house. It just seemed like just light years ahead of anything I had. <laughs> Even when we got like a, a PC and stuff, there wasn't like an animation package like the later versions of Deluxe Paint on there. And that's just a crying shame. Right. Yeah, me and Chris used to make all sorts. Um at one point, we were making a sequel to Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> wow! <laughs> we we did like uh, well, Chris did like Star Wars come to the screen, and then the, all the text on in deluxe paint. And <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! So you did have a tradition of making your own videos. Oh, yeah. for your own amusement. Yeah, my dad got me a, a mini DV camera when I was 13. And um, that kind of just unlocked everything. Because then, before that, you were like editing things on a VHS and you'd be like, quick, quick, uh, that bit's playing, uh, hit record, and then, okay, that's on the that's on the VHS tape now. And then, and when, when it got to the point of having a mini DV camera and you could import all of that, capture all of that into a computer through Firewire and edit that non-linearly was a complete and utter breakthrough. Just totally, just like adding text to things. You're just making a, a credit scroll was just kind of incredible. Yeah, that's good. And continuing the thread of creativity in your college years. Uh, oh, university, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you went to a school in Wales, I think. Yeah, Swansea Metropolitan University, which no longer exists, is now part of some other university or something, and I've not kept up. Yeah, I did three uh, D computer animation there for three years. Looking back at your uh, YouTube catalog uh who was infatuated with the statue of abraham lincoln and how did uh lance storm 
get to become a thing? Well, uh, Lionstorm started before university. There's, uh, ah. I don't know if the video's online or not. That was made in um, what we call college. It was like just before university, went to college for two years and did, that was game designer did there, but there was a module where you had to make some kind of video thing. Hmm. And we filmed it all. We used that same mini DV camera because it still worked after like eight years or so. I don't know. Yeah, I just made a stupid Lance Storm thing in and around my friend's flat <laughs> just for college. And then in the university, I just wanted to make something stupid and fun. And friend encouraged He was like, hey, you should do a Lance Storm. Do it because it's stupid. Because I was thinking of doing something some something serious which would have been a terrible mistake because with with something silly it like the whole process is fun then all of it and i don't know why the statue of abraham lincoln i couldn't tell you why <laughs> it just look it just happened it just happened i had um where you draw out the scenes what's that called storyboard story thank you Storyboard, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I storyboarded so much that I just didn't end up using at all. <laughs> but like in university, you get marks for that. You know, they want to see the storyboarding, the whole process. Show your work. So I just storyboarded stuff. Where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm never gonna. None of this is gonna be used. But I storyboarded like Abraham Lincoln, like coming out of the sea and stuff like that and i'd done 3d stuff before all that like even when i was like 13 poser 3 came on like one of those magazine cds remember like computer magazines they're like three thousand pounds worth of software on this disc yeah oh yeah by today and it's like yes. really old software that isn't worth three thousand pounds but oh, probably yeah. was five six years ago right. or something and yeah i remember messing around with poser three and like combining that with video and that's probably the thing that got me started with 3d computer animation and all that kind of thing and it just kind of went from there right so at swansea art focused mainly on 3d modeling and 3d animation yeah that's what i did for the three years was all modeling so the uh when trains go bad yeah that was my um, third year final major piece was When Trains Go Bad. That was all like modeling everything, rigging, <laughs> doing all the voices. <laughs> yeah, just making the whole thing. That was like the major project for that year. What programs or systems did you use on that? Do you remember? Oh, we, yeah, we're using um, Maya, which is a 3D still around they still make it i don't know why anyone would use it when blender's around now and it's so incredible for free software blender is i think it's marvelous it's just great i love blender it's just absolutely incredible and it's free you don't have to illegally download mayor anymore <laughs> which which everyone in university was doing because you could get student license, I guess, but no one did that. Everyone was, everyone was illegally downloading. Because everyone was a student and couldn't afford anything. But at the time, it was Maya, yeah. And a, a tiny bit of uh, ZBrush or ZBrush, however you want to say it. You mentioned it might have been back earlier in college rather than university, but you programmed games or created games oh, yeah. of some sort? Oh, yeah. God, yeah, in a adventure game studio. Because I was really big into the point-and-click adventure games like um, Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle. And uh, mainly the LucasArts ones I liked a lot. I was a big fan of them. And with Adventure Game Studio, you didn't really need to know much programming, which was great for me. That's where I know people like Hades from. Hmm. A lot of... Uh, really creative people from the adventure game studio community who have gone on to make commercial stuff commercial games 
even using that engine. So you met Haddis? Probably like 13 or something at the time. We've known each other ever since. I vaguely remember you talking about, not really trolling, but you pretended to be some, like, Finnish person, and you were, uh, <laughs> was it Finnish or was it Wallace or some, yeah. some nonsense? Rolf. Rolf! <laughs> Rolf what, what was that and why was that? I would, it was just to, it was to make me laugh. I would just put things into Google Translate and um, translate them a few times so it all just came out a complete mess. I think you would call that trolling. I think trolling is the modern term. But I would, it was just funny. It made me laugh. And it made a few others laugh. And uh, yeah, just. <laughs> If someone's confused, they find it funny. That's just my sense of humor, I guess. is more than making people laugh. I like people being confused <laughs> by my actions. <laughs> well, on that tack, I remember you also talking about calling into some radio show or something like that, or something where you pretended to be doctors or something uh, like that. Oh, no, that was... Yeah, me and my friend Alex, we'd been up for like 24 hours. There was a thing on Skype. I don't know if anyone remembers this. There was a thing on Skype that you could do kind of like a call-in radio show. You could do that on Skype, essentially. So you'd, you'd have like the main talker and then you could like bring people up in the call. And we, we said we were Dr. McCoy and Dr. Lando. And we did this bullshit talking out of our ass uh, medical help show with like Wikipedia up. And it was great. Alex was better at it than I was. He could, he could bullshit for days. He was excellent at that. Talking of streaming earlier, I used to stream before Twitch using that mini DV camera I mentioned earlier. Back when I was a teenager, on Winamp, there was, uh, what was it called? There was the streaming bit of Winamp, and I can't remember the name of it. And you could stream video. They had like a server, a centralized server list of all the people streaming on Winamp, like audio and video. It isn't like it is now. You had to stream the data to everyone who was watching separately. So like all your bandwidth. And the maximum I could stream to was about five people at about five frames per second. <laughs> but it was like, it was exciting because it was new and a new weird technology that no one was using. You used to find all kinds of stuff and there would be like people streaming anime on there. I think that's the first way I found out about Cowboy Bebop was from a weird Winamp stream. There was like episodes of The Simpsons I'd never seen. It was just like the Wild West. It was when the internet was still fun. Like the early to mid 2000s were a great time for the internet, I think. Just all weird different technologies coalescing. I'd just be me in my room. <laughs> <laughs> messing with the camera and stuff. It's like, hey, I can stream my room and I'm in it. This is exciting technology. Just because you could. Oh, and I used to do like a radio thing on there as well for a little bit where I'd play music. I think people enjoyed that. You could do more than five people then because it was just audio. You could get, oh, maybe up to 10 people at a time. So maybe talk about your background in music. I mean, I mean, I don't really have a background in music. I've, when I've did you start playing? <laughs> I mean, I've had always had like a keyboard, but I didn't really know how to play it ever. And I only learned the little I know in like the past couple of years. I'd say like two, three years ago, I really learned what chords are and things like that. But I've always had an interest in music. I just never really got any lessons or anything. 
and I'm just all self-taught. There's still so much to learn. Did you ever have a band, whether it was for actual performance or more of the, uh, I guess, performance art? <laughs> oh, well, me and my cousin, me and my cousin did... Spooky John? Spooky John. Yeah, my, my cousin Spooky John. We did an open mic once where we pretended to be Germans called Gemüsebrille, which is the German word for vegetable stock. And I know I'm not saying it right to all the Germans listening. But yeah, it was the German for vegetable stock. And he came down from London because he was living in London at the time. And uh, we just spent a week making weird songs in FO Studio. And then we performed them like at the end of the week. And I had the rock band guitar thing, which is an actually really like a really well-made constructed piece of kit and it was really cheap and people had made drivers for it for the, like the dongle that came with the Wii version so it would work wirelessly as a MIDI keyboard <laughs> so yeah I had that and I could just walk around with this MIDI keyboard and it would work in the whole room it was amazing and yeah anyway we did this open mic spot and there was these two really drunk women there booing us the entire time. Going, turn, switch it off! Turn, cancel, I want to unplug the electricity! They were, like, really drunk. And it was, oh, it was just excellent. It was just... I couldn't have asked for a better crowd because they, they absolutely hated it. And... I think the rest of the people there really confused. <laughs> In so giving you what you always wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a bunch of confused people. Um, there was a few people there that got it. I'm like, oh, they're clearly not German. They're just two weirdos being <laughs> weird. And we'd we'd both grown like moustaches just for this one evening and uh, we were wearing black turtlenecks and we were putting on German accents at, at the end of the at the end of every song I would demand the audience to clap I'd, you you may now clap and um, it was a great evening and my dad came he was laughing the entire time and my grandma was there as well. And I'd, these two leery drunk women just loved my grandma. They were just asking her all kinds of things, uh, like after we'd done our music. And she was, my grandma was just lying. She was like, yeah, I'm 100 years old. And they're like, oh, how do you keep your skin looking so good? <laughs> the things like this. And she said her name was Vianetta. And, oh, it, was a, it was just a great evening. Really so good. performance art what runs in the family and was <laughs> part of the entire experience, <laughs> not just on stage, but in it the audience. Must do. Yeah, no, Very it must cool. do. One of the recurring themes of the stream and your oeuvre is MIDI. And yeah, you mentioned both as uh, playback and as... Uh, yeah, kind of a musical device. One of the things I very distinctly love and remember from the stream is you having programmed... I guess bongos. Oh yeah, the Donkey Kong, the uh, Donkey yeah. Kong bongos. So I can make right. them work in FO Studio. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and had it play clips of Jim Butterfield talking about the Commodore 64. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's fantastic. That was just like jerry-rigged bits of so like four different bits of software that doesn't always work and I don't think I could get that to work again today if I tried I still thought it was ingenious um, I would love to see more of that too but I should bring that back I should bring that back there's <laughs> just so many different bits of software that you gotta remember how they all go together you also play songs on stream is there yeah. any sort of method uh, that you go about Much it. to the madness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just find chords I like. And then the, the singing, like finding the singing melody bit 
is pretty easy. That just comes naturally. I don't know how good it comes naturally, but <laughs> I don't find great difficulty in the singing and coming up with lyrics because they're very simple lyrics. Yeah, I just enjoy it. There's something really enjoyable about making music. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are at it. Whatever level of making music you're at, there's just something just incredibly rewarding about it, just about the process. And um, singing is just really fun and kind of therapeutic. I find singing very therapeutic. So if you weren't streaming now, would you be focused more on music? Would you be focused on some other form of creativity? Mm. Some other outlet, rather. Yeah, I mean, God, there's so many things I do want to do. Oh, <laughs> I want to do more 3D stuff, especially with the 3D printing and all of that. And my polar bear keyring business. Right. I missed when you got that. And <laughs> did you always have ideas for what you wanted to 3D print? Well, it's Bruxis who watches my streams. He was talking about them to me at one point. And he actually sent me some things he'd 3D printed. And I was so impressed by them. I was like, ah, oh, shit, I need one of these. <laughs> this is great. And I asked him about what would be a good 3D printer to get. And then I set up a goal on my stream, which was met. And then, yeah, 3D printing is really cool. I agree. 3D printing is awesome. I await uh, the bust of Jim Butterfield to be a... Oh, shit. Yeah, I need to... I need to get on that. So aside from conquering the world of 3D printing and uh, polar bear keychain sales, yeah. other things that you want to do? And oh, I want to still want to learn Python programming. I got like seven chapters into this book on Python programming, and I want to go back to it. But learning things is difficult. Your brain's got to be in the right frame of mind, and you've got to have enough energy to take things in. And it's just the, all the stars have to align. And I need, need to be well-rested enough and have the time to uh, Takes time. learn more programming because that seems like endless possibilities with that. You could go anywhere with that. You could combine that with all the 3D stuff and, you know, it could go anywhere. And that excites me, the possibility of just combining the things I love, like 3D and music and with programming and I just like making things. <laughs> I just like making things. I want to do more video editing because I love that too. I didn't really delve into. Hey, let's talk video editing. Let's talk it because you, you're big. Into yeah. That. How did you get into working for Retroware, working for Kotaku? I guess starting with Retroware. Well, a couple of years after university, I started a business with uh, two friends and we were making iOS apps. I was doing like 3D stuff for them. And then that wasn't working out, and I felt kind of burnt out from doing 3D stuff. And I was like, man, I kind of love video editing. I want to do more with that. And um, I used to be on NeoGAF. There was this big wrestling thread on NeoGAF, and I would talk about it on there. And I used to make just short, stupid videos for them. And then there was this guy on there called Sunny Buns, Rich McGonagall, his actual name. I love that man. He's incredible. He was there at a time where I felt like, ah, you know, the business hadn't worked out. What the fuck am I going to do in my life? Feeling down and confused. And he was a ray of sunshine. And I was like, look, you've got something here. You should do something with it. And he's really the reason I started Run Play Think was just his, you know, little push of being like, hey, you should follow through with this. And uh, that's how I kind of started. You know, I'd always edited things, video edited things ever since I'd got that camera at 13 and like I did media studies and things like that. And um, yeah, so I did. And I started Run Play Think. Well, before that, I did two James Bond retrospectives. Don't know why I stopped doing those. Run, play, think, which started with Bad Rats. That was the first one. And then I just kept on making them. And it kind of just picked up from there. And I wasn't making them that long before I got 
the worker Kotaku, who wasn't too long, probably like eight, nine months. Because I was that good. <laughs> so who discovered you? Who was the agent who said you got the goods? Oh, that would have been Stephen Totillo. No longer works there. But he was the editor-in-chief of Kotaku for a good long while. There was like a job opening in the New York office for a video editor. Like, send your resume and this and this. I said, ah, I'm not doing all that. I'm just send them. Email was really short. I was like, here's some videos I made in a passive-aggressive tone. No, I just added that now. Here's some videos. Yeah, send those off. You know, not expecting to hear back from them at all. And uh, <laughs> the first reply I got back was like weeks later. was like, you're not in New York, are you? <laughs> and I was like, well, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. And then I guess he just saw something in those videos that he wanted and uh, he was like look we're gonna fill this position in new york with someone but opening up this freelance position for you because i like your work and that's how it started that's how i um yeah got the kotaku gig do you still have kind of an urge to find another type of gig like that in the video game review editing no I don't know if I do. It's certainly a different world streaming and kind of working for yourself as opposed to working for an organization. And was there a big difference between the way you had to edit for Kotaku versus Retoware? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess because I knew it was for a big audience and I couldn't just make anything, any old thing, and be like, that's fine. <laughs> uh there was a difference because when it was just me, I could say anything and put out anything. And I didn't have to answer to anyone. Whereas it was like, hey, this needs real thought put into it. You've got to be careful with what you say because you, you want your boss to be happy with your, with your work. I think that was another thing. You didn't want to go, I, I don't want to whiff this put out some content they're not happy with. I would say it was, it was a lot more stress. It was definitely a lot more stress. It was very stressful. I found it extremely stressful because there was a lot of people and you're not really taught how to deal with that amount of people commenting on your work. Like most people's jobs, what, their boss is like, hey, that's good, or hey, this needs fixing. And yeah, there's like hundreds of points of contact. Often good, but some of them really bad and horrible mean comments. But um, yeah, just getting my head around that was kind of difficult, I think. Really difficult. Just the amount of people, <laughs> a lot of people watching and judging what you do. Or just judging your voice, things like that. Yeah, it was stressful. I found it stressful. I don't know if I don't know if I want to go back to work like that or not. I'm still undecided. I like doing the streams because that's just me. <laughs> I answer to myself on those things. I would say it would have to be with the right people, though. I think. The right people were key. Because at that time, the right people were there. Like Tina Amini, who was the uh, sub-editor at the time, who's at IGN now, was just incredibly helpful. And there to answer questions and to uh, edit the words that would go in the article bit, which I hated doing. I hated that bit. I was exhausted after making the video and be like, oh, great, I've got to put some words up as well with this. I wish I could have just done the video bit. So you would say by comparison, streaming and doing what you do, how you want to do it is optimal. Um, it's a matter of trying to find something that suits your talents yeah. and fulfills you and makes you happy. And brings in money. Provides, <laughs> yeah. I'm still working that yes. bit out. Still. 
still not quite all there. That you don't need to take on another job to success. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough with my health. Yeah, I'm still trying to work that out myself. It's that balance of not trying to kill yourself with work, I guess, which I think working there did bring... It was kind of unhealthy. I think it was unhealthy because it did make me ill. I'm still trying to work it all out myself. We can move on to something else. So I know how I feel about it, but uh, the difference between content and art. Okay, this topic. Oh, God. Here we go. Here was a thing I was thinking about the other day, thinking about YouTube and stuff. And I was thinking, I don't want to try and chase the algorithm or anything like that. I'm so done with anything like that. So when I was doing YouTube, you know, on my own, things like Patreon didn't exist, which is a huge thing for uh, creators now. Um, Yeah, content is there almost to chase that algorithm. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, the world of YouTube now, where there'll be a sponsorship within a video. And, like, I get why they do it, because people need money to eat and live, and the ad money isn't there anymore, and all of that kind of thing. The way I see it is I would be very happy if I made stuff and the right people found it, and, like, through Patreon or something like that, they kick some money towards it. And then I would be completely content not chasing the algorithm, not trying to get sponsorships, or anything like that. I don't care if a video makes it to a million views, as long as the right people see it, people that enjoy your work, like truly appreciate it. As far as content versus art, both can coexist, both content can be art. I don't even know what the word content really means anymore. I think it's been used so much that it's kind of become a catch-all term where it's become meaningless in a way because are our lives not content? Well, I could change the Um, tack and go into, do you consider your stream art? (laughs) 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 I don't don't think I'm that far up my own ass to call it art. Um, Or... Or just creativity (laughs) taken to a certain logical extent. I think it's just creativity. People can call it what they want. It's just me trying to be creative on a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday. I must add this. I'm on Shiny Frog Friday, which is TV for slash Shiny Bri. I feel like the algorithm, it stops experimentation. It stops people from experimenting with different ideas and... um, different formats and things like that. The algorithm just states, hey, you've made this. This is good. We've sent this to lots of viewers. Make more of this, this one thing, over and over, Mm -hmm. which I don't really like. I think people get stuck. And when when they do want to experiment, they have to be like, okay, I've made a second channel. All this is going on my second channel. We're in really... In a just world, <laughs> you'd be able to put whatever you want on one channel and it would be fine. But that's not the world we live in. Well, I personally am extremely pleased with what you do. Oh, thank you. I always feel terrible not being able to see more. Well, that's the things with streams is that they're on at a certain time. In the end, at a certain time... That, the thing with and it's uh, not all the same time throughout the world. Unfortunately. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. whereas with uh, video, people can watch that at their leisure. There's nothing leisurely about my stream. People have to be there and concentrate just to take it all in, and then they need a lot of aftercare after watching. I love the streams. I, I love the live feeling of yeah, it. I, I, I enjoy the running I gag like of it's my first time streaming. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely respect what it takes. You 
have a ton going on. It's exhausting. Hiccups are totally understandable considering that you have to juggle OBS, the control panel uh, for the stream, uh, reading and interacting, which is something that I feel is fairly exclusive to you, and performing. Oh, here's my philosophy on hiccups. My philosophy on hiccups is you make the stream hiccups because that's the live aspect. None of it's edited. Allow the chaos to happen. Embrace it because it's live and people will remember that. Instead of being scared of the hiccups, you need to embrace them. At least that's what I think. Instead of going, oh no, this isn't perfect. Oh God. Like with editing, you want everything to be perfect. Because in your head, you're like, this video is going to live forever. People, millions of years from now, will watch this. Where <laughs> with a stream, you're like, once it's done, it's kind of done. People were either there or they're not. They might watch it on video on demand. But by the end of it, you're just like, well, I did my best. And I think that's freeing in a way compared to like edited content. It's that finality to it being over and you can't go back to it. It existed at that time. And like sands in the wind is now gone. <laughs> dust in the wind, dude. We're all dust in the wind. But it being live and it being so personal, it means a lot more to viewers. I suppose it does. It's building a community. I think that's that... the bit I'm proudest of is building that community. Because when I started streaming, you know, I didn't imagine that it would build that community with like a, a Discord channel. I didn't even know what Discord was when I started streaming. I had no idea. I'd heard of Discord channels, but I hadn't re I was like an angry old man, not researching anything. Going, ah, gee, I wonder what a Discord channel is. Well, I guess I'll never learn. <laughs> and to find out it's basically an IRC channel in a different clothing. Yeah. I think that's uh, the thing I'm proudest of, is building that community of very creative people, extremely creative people and kind people and stupid people, <laughs> silly, stupid people. Really, the goal of living should be being happy and the greatest happiness of the greatest number, of course. But yeah. uh, you can really kind of only get there by starting with yourself. Absolutely. That takes a ton of work. Oh, hell yeah, but, does it uh, take work. I'm still, every day, working on myself. Four, seven, eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that has helped me through many a script. But the feeling of uh, having a community that's um, talented and kind, I definitely have to say that and is you're, absolutely you're neutral. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> but that feeling is you absolutely, absolutely mutual. I know you're a good person. Um, oh, come on. And <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> you don't know I'm a good person. I could it, be fucking yeah, awful. From <sighs> I could be a right shit and you wouldn't know. Well, of course I'm <laughs> of course I say that judging based on the videos that I saw before Twitch. Uh yeah, my my preconceived notions of you were that uh intelligent dryly hilarious and and kind especially with uh run play think and more of the analysis i mean thank you um, i can't thank you enough for that and i feel oh, thank you being one of the old people in the uh the fan base i feel kind of a paternal type pride in any oh. success that you have well, thank um, you. I know that's totally that's, that's totally unearned. <laughs> it's it's lovely um, and weird at the same time. Yeah, I'm no, no, yeah, very it, happy it, it's it. really wrong, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love you and I love what you do. So, um, oh, thank you. You do good, and I want to see you do well. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, I can I can try. That's the only that's the only thing I could promise is trying. I try to be a good person. I think I am. Patient, kind, wonderful, beautiful looking, intelligent man. <laughs> Sexy. 
highly erotic. <laughs> Any other question that I kind of skipped over had to do more with, like, Rodney Dangerfield and the Brian Butterfield <laughs> and the, like, older commercials. Jim Butterfield. Jim Butterfield, sorry. Brian Butterfield being uh, <laughs> the Peter Seraphin of its character. The things that you share within the stream, because that's kind of the appeal to me, mm-hmm. being a elderly millennial uh, or the youngest of the Gen Xers, depending on who's doing the math. But it's a contentious issue. All of that material kind of is why I love the stream, because it's a blending of the analog and the digital, the pre-internet era. I guess I never thought of it in that way, but I suppose it is. Like, none of that is preconceived. It's just whatever I find entertaining in the moment. And, um, like, the Commodore 64 is just cool. I never had one growing up. (laughs) I came to it way late, but... Yeah, there's just there's just something intriguing and interesting about old technology. Even if you didn't grow up with it, I think some of the best art comes from limitations, having those limitations. That's why I loved public access so much, <laughs> is because it showed me that back when you couldn't stream, broadcast was very localized. But it showed me that you can still connect with people without having to be in Hollywood, without going to New York, without having a huge budget. You can share who you are and make people laugh and feel where you are. Yeah, especially with Twitch. Yeah, it really has kind of democratized entertainment, question mark. (laughs) No, it is entertainment. It, It is. Yeah, and the fact that anyone can do it. Well, almost anyone. You need a computer. I suppose a microphone. But not necessarily. Even with that limitation, you could make something without a microphone. As for Jim Butterfield, just... I found him very intriguing. I found that, like, training video. And... (laughs) Hello! And he's just... (laughs) There's just some... (laughs) Just some guy explaining, This is a computer! You just don't get stuff like that anymore. Everyone knows what a computer is. Teaching it on a very fundamental... You don't get that anymore. You don't get a fundamental teaching of, this is a computer. These are the ports it has. You can can load things from a diskette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. And things like that. Bits and Bytes being another series. I love the theme tune to Bits and Bytes. Yes. Anything weird and Canadian I'm on board with. And playing computer games with cassettes. Yeah, because I never experienced that. And I didn't have a thing that loaded from cassette. Like, we were late into getting a computer. By the time we had a computer, you know, it was like Windows 95 and stuff. And, uh, you know, that came with a CD-ROM. So I missed all of, like, the 8-bit stuff. And, um, yeah, my friend had the Amiga, and I took discs. And um, just didn't have a computer. Just didn't have one. Never came into my parents' heads to get us one. Or It's not like we missed having one at the time or anything. So, yeah, I missed all of, like, loading things from cassettes and, and all that kind of thing. And, like, finding out about all that later was kind of intriguing and... Quaint. Yeah, old technology videos, just in their styling and especially like their effects and stuff. I like old video effects. I'm a big fan of like old 3D when they needed like a giant, they need a room to render everything. And several weeks. And I, I just imagine them several weeks for a frame. And I can't imagine how difficult it was to like 3D model and texture things at that point how long it must have taken i just would not have the patience for that but i find it interesting looking back at where we've come from it's like recent history that you can watch which not many generations have had that before it would just be 
tales passed down or you'd read it from a book. But, you know, being able to watch things from before you existed in a world you didn't know is um, just really intriguing. I agree. Any parting words, anything that you wanted to get out of this that I was not able to uh, address? I, no, these days I go into things not expecting anything, any any kind of preconceived notion, because I will always be wrong. So I, I like to enter things just as they are, see how they go. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. So there you have it, my talk with Leo and my first podcast ever. I'm just glad I got to talk to Leo before my sad and untimely demise. Of course, be sure to check out all of Leo's work in its myriad forms, as mentioned in this program. His early projects and the Run, Play, Think series are still available on his Laser Frog YouTube channel. Leo Takes a Look is archived on Kotaku's YouTube channel. Nowadays, of course, you can catch Leo streaming regularly on Tuesdays and Thursdays at twitch.tv forward slash laserfrog. Find him on Etsy via Animal Friends by Leo and get your hands on one of his 3D printed polar bear keychains. Don't forget to have your friends pledge on Patreon and get more exclusive bonus audio content like the early release of this thing. As for me, I'm just some dude making dumb meme nonsense at youtube.com forward slash zappa video. That's Z-A-P-P-A-H video. Check out my laser frog tribute video pieces in a playlist from my channel's homepage. If you like my stuff or this thing you just heard and want to support me, I'm not monetized or anything. So just, you know, contact me on Twitter at zappa video or whatever. But anyway, thank you for listening. So that's it. See you next time or never again. I don't know. Why don't you take this? This has shit been down? an as of yet unnamed podcast that may or may not be called Headclog and the Operator. Hosted and edited by me, Jeremiah Orr, and produced and distributed by Matt Keeley of KS Media LLC. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. All things to all people. KittySneezes.com in color. <laughs>